Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. The New York Times published a piece by Pamela Paul, a columnist. And uh, she writes about evidence that, that Fauci won't be spared from the long march of identity politics through our institutions. A group of 29 Fauciists, including two Nobel laureates, collaborated on a paper titled, quote, In Defense of Merit in Fauci, or the science, if you will. Okay, they are scientists. They're writing about the science, a.k.a. the Fauci. Okay, um, so they have written a paper titled In Defense of Merit in Science, but science journals will not run it. They won't run it. The authors argue that science should instead be independent, evident-based, sorry, evidence-based, and focused on advancing knowledge. It should not be informed by a politicized agenda, one that often criticizes science as fundamentally racist and in need of decolonizing. The paper got rejected by several prominent mainstream journals, including the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences. Another publication that passed on the paper described some of its conclusions as, quote, downright hurtful. The Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences took issue with the word. You want to guess which word? Merit. Merit. They wrote, quote, the problem is, that this concept of merit, as the authors surely know, has been widely and legitimately attacked as hollow, as currently implemented. So because the term merit has been attacked by postmodernist leftists, you reject the paper, thereby censoring the alternative view to the postmodern leftist argument. The paper argues that science and its conclusions stand apart. They are separate from the identity of the scientists. Right? The, the, and, and so this is, this is how the postmodernist left is deconstructing science. Right? They're, they're saying, well, if, if, a particular scientist came up with some theory or some proof or whatever. They discovered something, but you can find something about them to be problematic, their identity. They said some racisty things or sexist things, or they just were a certain race or ethnicity or whatever. You've attached to them some sort of characteristic based on one of their immutable characteristics. And so you say we cannot now use their findings, their work. Their views, even if even if some scientist comes along and is like, I think like this really terrible thought, 
and that's inspiring me to pursue some scientific experiments. And in the course of those scientific experiments, they discover the cure for cancer. Whatever. You don't reject the cure for cancer because the scientist embarked upon it for an ignoble reason, right? The science is the science. It is separate from the person. Even if the person running the science started the science and the experimentation for for nefarious or bad reasons. For example, nuclear weapons, right? You could argue that's for defense and that's of benefit, but you're figuring out how to, you know, you know, you're trying to figure out but nuclear fission, and in order to do that, or, or by doing that, you're able to then, you know, annihilate large numbers of people. That would be bad, generally speaking. Scientific truths are universal and independent of the personal attributes of the scientist. They are different. From the paper, quote, science knows no ethnicity, gender, or religion. Of course, by itself, Universalism does not prevent the personal views of scientists, which are influenced by culture and society. You, right? It doesn't stop that from affecting the practice of science. In fact, scientists have not always lived up to the ideals of fairness and impartiality when evaluating merit. In the past, scientific culture contributed to the exclusion of various groups from the scientific enterprise. Right? And that was wrong. Like, sexism limited women's entry into science. And those who helped raise awareness of such issues have done science a service. However, the shortcomings of individuals or even the scientific community should not be confused with the science itself. Right? It says whether sexism prevented Cecilia Payne Gaposchkin from, I don't know, Kaposchkin, Kaposchkin, from receiving credit for her conclusion that the sun was made mostly of hydrogen. What? Is that true? I had no idea. Hydrogen, you don't say. I just know it's trying to kill us. Anyway, she was the one that uh, concluded that the sun was made of hydrogen. The fact that sexism prevented her from getting the credit is not relevant to the fact that the sun is mostly made of hydrogen, right? This makes sense, right? Although there are feminist critiques of how glaciologists have conducted themselves, there is no such thing as feminist glaciology, which sounds like a very boring and slow-moving class. Just as there is no queer chemistry, Jewish physics, white Mathematics, indigenous science, feminist astronomy, right? Glacial, physical, genetic, or prehistoric phenomena are independent of the positionality of the scientist. And by prioritizing the truth value of scientific research, personal influences of individual scientists are actually minimized, right? More towards the colorblind society, if you will, which now apparently is racist. The paper also discusses here the danger of allowing science to be dictated by political dogma. And I thought this was a great example they use from the Soviet Union. There was a guy um, named Trufim Lysenko, Lysenko, whatever. Um, 
he was a uh, an agronomist. So like a like a scientist of the of the agriculture, you know, of the farms and such. And uh, people scientist. He was the people scientist, of course, because he was a commie, right? So they call everybody the people's whatever. And so he came from the superior class of poor peasants, and he rejected genetics because of its supposed inconsistency with Marxist ideology. And if you had any disagreement with Lysenko's ideas, well, then uh, you were a double plus on good person and your ideas were outlawed. All all ideas contrary to Lysenko's got outlawed. His opponents would get fired. They would be prosecuted. His ideologically infused agriculture ideas were put into practice all across, well, I was going to say the fruited plain, but it, it turned into not, uh, not so much fruited plain in the Soviet Union as well as in China, uh, which led to decreased crop yields and then famine. Today, biology is again being subjected to ideology. Medical schools deny the biological basis of sex. Biology courses avoid teaching the heritability of traits, and so on and so forth. Finally, the paper concludes, quote, Imbuing science with ideology harms the scientific enterprise and leads to a loss of public trust. If we continue to undermine merit, our universities will become institutions of mediocrity rather than places of creativity and accomplishment, leading to the loss of the competitive edge in technology. Well, you say that like that's a problem. That's, I mean, that's the feature, not the bug of this current approach. They say, thus, we need to restore our commitment to practices grounded in epistemic humility and the meritocratic liberal tradition. This is basically, according to this paper, John Sexton writing at Hot Air, he's like, this is a full-throated attack on the ideology of critical social justice and its encroachment on the liberal values of society. It is good to see. It is good to see. People are still willing to stand up to these bullies. So congrats to Pamela Paul at the New York Times, but also the 29 scientists um, and uh, two Nobel laureates uh, who uh, wrote the paper in defense of merit in science. Maybe we are starting to see some cracks in the dam. Let's hope so. All right, now you've heard me talk about them. Old Grouch's military surplus. They're expanding with more ways to get your hands on authentic U.S. military surplus items. Go to oldgrouch.com. Check out the links for the online auctions for rare finds and the vintage shop. Unique, really cool items from modern tactical gear to historical collectibles. Tim at Old Grouch's is always finding new stuff. When I started the podcast at the beginning of the pandemic, my first advertiser was Old Grouch's. If you enjoy the show and derive any value from it, I'm hoping that you will consider supporting one of the businesses that make it possible. Lots of gift ideas for that person who loves the military style for fashion or decor. There really is something for everyone at Old Grouch's Military Surplus in beautiful downtown Clyde and online at oldgrouch.com. A couple more. uh, I got three more segments here. I'll try to make them good ones. Yes, I do have the pasta story. I got the pasta story and I have a theory about it. Um, But first... Have you heard about the latest dumbassery on TikTok? I know there's a lot. So anyway, apparently, apparently kids have now discovered that if you take a lighter and some uh, flammable material under pressure, 
in like a can, like an aerosol can, and you you press the can and light the lighter, you can make a flamethrower out of that thing, like Al Pacino and Scent of a Woman. Right. So, yeah, so now they're blowing themselves up. Yeah, they're lighting themselves on fire, and, and one of the latest victims is a 16-year-old kid out of uh, Wake Forest, burned over 80% of his body. And that's because he got he was able to get into a, a river or something that was right there. He was able to jump into a river. He was a standout athlete, football player. He's now at the UNC Burn Center. His name is Mason Dark. There's a GoFundMe set up. Um, this was a TikTok challenge. Like you guys realize this thing is cancer, right? You do realize that? Like I know there was this thought long time ago that if every man had his own printing press right, that would really harness democracy and freedom and such it turns out that's not true okay because like everybody has their own printing press now and it's just it's it, it is just compounding the dumbassery just over and over and over again stealing cars eating Tide Pods Right? Chopping off genitalia. Like, come on, kids. I'd like to think that you're smarter than this, but you're going to K-12 government schools, so you're not. And it's not your fault, but still. Yes, it's an aerosolized liquid under pressure. And when you spray it in front of a lighter, yes, it's going to catch fire. And you know what? It has the chance of sending the flame back at you and blowing up in your hands and catching you on fire. Is the juice worth the squeeze on that? I know your brains are not fully formed yet to weigh the risk-benefit of this scenario, so let me just jump ahead to the end. Spoiler alert. It's not. Not worth it. There's very little you need it for unless you're killing spiders. There's very little that you would need that for. Or, right, you're home alone, and you got some guys, the wet bandits, trying to break in. That's it. That, like That's the only reason you would ever need to know that stuff. But I also know that your brains are not fully formed. They are fully formed enough for you to decide whether to start chopping off body parts, but not formed enough to know do not use spray paint and a lighter in order to create a flamethrower effect. Because the chances are you're going to do it wrong. And you know why I know that? Because you're a teenager. Okay? I was a teenager. I knew everything. When I was a teenager, too, I got older, and then I became stupid. But let me tell you, the things that you're so certain of right now, like you're not going to die, you're not going to get injured, not true. Happens all the time. Been in news for a long time. Lots of kids get injured. Lots of kids die from doing really stupid things that are being promoted, particularly in a cesspool of stupidity called TikTok. Okay? This kid's now getting skin grafts. Um, What else? Oh, Remember the uh, recruitment email that was sent around by Mike Morell, co-author of the infamous Hunter Biden laptop letter? Remember the, that letter? Mike Morell, the former intelligence official, and um, he had the conversation with Anthony Blinken, and um, Blinken, who was working for uh, Vice President Joe Biden's campaign for president at the time. And he sent around the email. And he was like, hey, you guys want to sign on to this thing? Yeah, yeah. So apparently... In the email that was sent out to a couple people, it was very explicit. 
The reason why they were drafting this letter was to help Joe Biden in his debate performance. Uh, Alrighty, so a recruitment email that was sent by Mike Morrell, co-author of the infamous Hunter Biden laptop letter, wanted former intelligence officials to become signatories to help give Joe Biden a talking point during a crucial presidential debate against Donald Trump. If I recall correctly, um, wasn't there only one debate between these two? Right? Didn't they only agree to a single debate because it was the height of COVID, right? Everyone was freaking out. Joe Biden was hiding in the basement, right? So Mike Morrell, the former Obama CIA acting director, admitted that the current Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, who at the time worked for the Biden campaign, that Blinken triggered Morrell to write the October 2020 laptop letter. This is the one that got the signatures from, you know, 50 plus Intel chiefs. And so when he was circulating this letter saying, hey, can you sign on to this? You know, he attached it in an email and he sent it out to various people. He sent it to former Intel officials. And um, it was uh, Morell's work as well as, uh, what's this guy's name? Polyamorous. Oh, no, wait, sorry. Polymeropolis. Sorry, that was close. Mark Polymeropolis. And um, he's the former senior CIA operations officer. All right. And so they wrote this thing up. They circulated the email. And the uh, Washington Examiner has now gotten a couple people to tell them what was in the email. And different sources read the same thing to them, to the Washington Examiner's uh, Jerry Dunleavy, the reporter here, um, read the exact same language, verbatim. So you know it was the same language. Morell's email explained that both he and Polyamorous believed that Russia was involved in the Hunter Biden laptop stories and that Trump likely planned to attack Biden over the laptop revelations in the debate. Quote, we want to give the VP a talking point to use in response. That's what they said. This was clearly a contribution to the Joe Biden campaign. Morell previously testified that one of the reasons he helped put the letter together was to help Joe Biden, quote, because I wanted him to win the election. 51 ex-Intel officials signed the laptop letter, which got published on October 19th, 2020, three days before the debate. Because that was the point. That was the point. They knew that they couldn't stop Trump from mentioning it because the news was out there. They knew it was true, right? A lot of these people that signed on to this letter knew that that was, in fact, Hunter Biden's laptop and the stuff that was being reported about it was true. So all they could do was try to give Joe Biden something to say, and Biden used it. He referenced the letter during the debate when Trump brought up, quote, the laptop from hell. And Joe Biden said, there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what he's accusing me of is a Russian plan. And then Trump replied, you mean the laptop 
is now another Russia, Russia, Russia hoax. That's exactly what we're told. Here we go again, Russia, Russia, Russia. A few days later, the then Democratic candidate made similar claims during a 60 Minutes interview when asked if he believed the laptop was part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Uh, that's what they're saying, huh? All right. Uh, uh. Then National, or sorry, then Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe, argued at this time, when they put this letter out there, he said, there is no intelligence to support that the laptop was part of any Russian disinformation campaign. But it didn't matter. Because he didn't get elected, did he? To quote Harry Reid, right? They were willing to do this in order to keep Trump from winning. And it's okay. It's different when Democrats do it. That's the lesson. You know, Harry Reid can make false claims about Mitt Romney not paying any taxes, and it doesn't matter. Because he didn't win, did he? To quote Harry Reid. That's the standard. Also, if a deity is going to get murdered, is going to get whacked, it's going to be in Jersey. That's, I think, all of the empirical evidence points in this direction. What's that, Pete? A deity was murdered, was whacked in Jersey? I think so. This is my working theory. The flying spaghetti monster was assassinated in Jersey. It sleeps, well, not really with the fishes. It's, it was next to a creek bed, so I'm thinking what, it sleeps with the moss or the crawdads maybe, right? It's sleep, the spaghetti monster, the flying spaghetti monster flies no longer. The flying spaghetti monster is sort of the mascot, is the deity of pastafarianism, and the, uh, the folks up in Old Bridge, New Jersey, uh, I'm thinking there's going to be some pasta pilgrims uh, heading their way. Some pasta farai pilgrims making the journey to Old Bridge, New Jersey, where all the townsfolk are talking about pasta. All the pasta that was found along the creek side. 500 pounds of pasta. Different pastas, which makes sense because as a deity, right, you're not just limited to a single pasta. Right? You are all pastas, all at once, yet none at the same time. Either that, uh, either that or somebody dumped it, but we're not sure. Yeah, we're not sure. Um, somebody apparently, or maybe the, I think assassinated the flying spaghetti monster, um, dumped hundreds of pounds of spaghetti, macaroni, and alphabet shapes, the alphabet pastas. Uh, dumped them in very large piles by the side of a stream in a wooded area where apparently people often dump construction materials, bed frames, and furniture. And so now they've added pasta uh, to the dumping list. I'm not sure why. Uh, there was like 25 feet of pasta, 25 feet long of, of pasta. They estimated to be somewhere between three to 500 pounds of pasta. And the person who found it, a woman by the name of Nina Joknowitz, said that it was cooked. But that is a lie. That was a lie, 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 lie. And I think she may have done it. I think she either dumped it or killed the monster, killed the spaghetti monster. I'm not sure which. I just think she knows a little bit too much and has already been caught in one lie. 
Oh, hey, real quick, before I forget, Carolina Readiness Supply is prepping for its annual Heritage Life Skills event. It's coming up in July, and you can learn how to be better prepared and self-sufficient in the event of any emergency. Things like homesteading, canning, water storage, radio communications, herbal remedies, home defense, fermenting vegetables, all sorts of stuff. This is what Carolina Readiness Supply does. For beginners, all the way to the most experienced preppers, Carolina Readiness Supply can help. Get your tickets now at carolinareadiness.com. That's carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? All right, so my theory here, working theory, is that the three to 500 pounds of pasta that were found in New Jersey along the side of a stream in Old Bridge, New Jersey, uh, where the, uh, I think it was the body of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. This is the deity of the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, a.k.a. Pastafarianism. Not sure if this is in fulfillment of the prophecies or anything. It's only been around for like since 2005. However, the person who found the pasta, it's always the person who finds the body, always. Nina Joknowitz said that it was cooked pasta. And that is a lie because we have it on good authority from the police department that it actually was uncooked pasta that had been removed from its packaging and then softened amid several days of rain. That tells me I've watched enough Law and & Order and CSI. Let me tell you, she returned to the scene, right? That's what happened here, right? She dumped all the pasta or killed the flying spaghetti monster and then returned to the scene. And then get this. This is from the uh, New York Times. A reputable publication. Ms. Joknowitz said that she eventually learned who had dumped the pasta and that it was not a restaurant. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. So, so she knows? She knows who killed the FSM. She is aware of the, the person's identity. And she says, quote, I only know that it was not a business. It was a private residence. And I am in conversation with the family via an individual who knows the family. Oh, so she's the go-between now. So she's the go-between. She's acting as the lawyer for the murderer, right? Is that what I'm to believe? Like she knows who Punches Pilot is here. Is that the deal? Before long, the town of Old Bridge, New Jersey, was consumed with theories about who may have dumped the pasta and why, especially in a state known for its love of Italian food. Yeah, that's what New Jersey's known for. Was it a caterer with a last-minute cancellation for a wedding? Maybe a restaurant cooking for a football team that never showed up. We may never know. Two six-packs of shiner, 99-cent butane lighter, lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron. That igloo cooler Take a guess at all to do her I can feel a good one coming on Throw in Ray Wiley Hubbard Sing along to Redneck Mother Any blues I had before are gone Another working week is over No chance of staying sober Good one coming on. Yeah, we're gonna roll all night. We 
Right, so in classic New Jersey fashion, they're calling it the Great Pasta Gate of 2023. Like, guys, it's just Pasta Gate 2023. You don't have to call it Great Pasta Gate. I mean, that's so New Jersey. Three blondes in a ragtop Mustang followed us down to the lake and didn't have to think about that too long. Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight. Situation couldn't be more right. I can feel a good one coming on Yeah, we gonna roll all night We gonna get the feeling right We gonna keep this party rocking Till the break of dawn Yeah, I can feel a good one Feel like a good one I can feel a good one coming on So, uh, Mark says... The flying spaghetti monster, obviously, it sleeps with the gravy. I'll tell you what, if they do find out who killed the flying spaghetti monster or who dumped the 500 pounds of pasta, whoever it is, they definitely should be sent to the state penitentiary. All right, that's a wrap for the show. Have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone.